John, it's you against me, me against you. Nothing ever is going to be decided until I win or you win. Hi, everyone. Hi, everybody. So this is another episode of Smart Drivel. John, we have a rivalry, and it's going to be a fight to the end, and that's the way rivalries work. I'm Kurt Schneider. You're John Allenthal. This is Smart Drivel, and we have a brand new episode, everyone. Hello. By the way, there's a rivalry between smart and drivel right here in this podcast, and it's very structure. So we know something about rivalries. Yeah? Yeah. So I guess that's what the episode's about, John, correct? We are going to talk about some of the greatest rivalries in history across a smattering of categories. I will go first. I'm ready. And then let's discuss. And we might even have a little rivalry of whether it is a rivalry or not. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm going to start with a rivalry that has been referenced many times in the history of Smart Drivel. But before I talk about it, I would like to dedicate this episode. This is not something we do. But I'm going to dedicate this episode to your colleague, Stu, who's been waiting for this episode for weeks now. So (laughs) this... This one's for you, Stu. We will start with one of the great rivalries of history. This is a rivalry that has spanned centuries. When a rivalry goes on this long and even has a war called the Hundred Year War, you know that there's rivalrous stuff going on. And of course, I'm talking about the rivalry between England and France, which Today, there is no military rivalry between them, although with the UK leaving the EU, perhaps there's a little bit more of an economic rivalry than there was a few years ago. But if you go all the way back to the Norman conquest of England in 1066, you know how I know that? Because that was my parents' alarm code growing up. Mom, dad, if you're listening, if that is still your alarm code, this would be a good time to change it. (laughs) I knew about the Norman Conquest because that was our alarm code as a kid. So William the Conqueror, Duke of Normandy, goes in, conquers, establishes Norman rule over England, and then the fates of these two countries battle it out. But where's Normandy? Normandy's in the north of France. Aha. Yes, northeast. In fact, you may have heard of it because it sort of played a pivotal role in the uh, war in Europe in WW2. So I want to mention a couple more things, because this is not just a military rivalry, but I will highlight the Hundred Year War, because there were a whole bunch of battles that went on during the Hundred Year War. Can I just say one thing before you start? Yes. The Hundred Years War was actually 116 years. It was 1337 to 1453, which is 116 years. Woo! Well done. Thank was you. that back Thank in the you. days of lingua franca? When did lingua franca stop being lingua, lingua franca? When did it stop or when did it start? Okay, I'll take either one or both. Well, it started with the Norman invasion, and it probably ended as the royal language in the 19th century. Do you know one of the most famous battles of the Hundred Year War? Is oh, yes, official, I do. This is the official battle of the Smart Drivel podcast. Oh, yes, I do. Regular listeners, loyal listeners, of course, know that I'm referring to Kurt's favorite battle in the history of warfare. That is the Battle of Agincourt. You want to say now, a little thing about the Battle of Agincourt, given your love affair with it? 
the interesting thing about the Battle of Agincourt is during it was actually uh, during that war, right? When that was one of the few battles that actually the British won, because if you were to really look at it, I'm sorry to say this, all you Brits, but the French kind of won more of them. They kind of won the war. But the Battle of Agincourt was a tremendous victory for the Brits. It spurred poetry. It spurred legend. And in fact, we we know Shakespeare wrote about it because the battle was on the eve of St. Crispin's Feast. And this is where we get the famous thing about band of brothers, right? We we band of brothers, we few. And it's amazing. It, basically, that passage talks about we're going to be remembered for the rest of our lives. And those are the people that were in bed while we were fighting are going to feel so bad about themselves because they weren't fighting the way we were. So I think everybody now knows why this is the official battle of this it's morning. It's got dysentery. Podcast. It's got pantsless. Kurt, Kurt has now brought it up. 21 times in 190 something episodes and when you consider how few of those episodes were actually about warfare it's really quite amazing i was going to talk about the renaissance and enlightenment and the napoleonic wars but given our detour again into the mud of the battle of agincourt i will stop there and i will end by saying i am delighted that the 20th and 21st century have been more about cooperation than competition and rivalry between those two great countries. Yeah, starting with the Crimean War, they became allies. I will say allies in terms of battles, but if you talk to anyone in Britain, besides drinking the claret of France, which they love, which is basically Bordeaux, well, is Bordeaux, and besides going to Provence and all the Brits getting their houses there and calling them frogs, yes, they are allies. Okay, we may have to knock a few categories of rivalries off of our plan for today because you've gone deep, my friend. Well, and then I'll then I'll be very narrow on okay. another one. England has friggin' rivals with everyone. England and Scotland also a huge rivalry, probably number two to England and France. And in fact, it's still going on today with Scotland wanting to secede. In fact, French actually helped Scotland. And the biggest thing of all, you know, you had Braveheart and all that stuff. The Brits stole the Stone of Scone, which is what the Scottish kings were crowned on for centuries, and took it to Westminster Abbey and then crowned their own people on it. The Stone of Scone. Is that why scones are so heavy and hard to eat? It's like biting into a stone with a current. Yes. Have you seen the Stone of Scone? It's pretty cool. It's just like a- I have not. I have seen scones that felt like stones, but I've not seen the Stone of Scone. Okay. Can we- I'm not going to mention the Blarney Stone. Which I have kissed. You have to kiss it upside down. I did. I went to Ireland on my honeymoon, but we did not kiss the Blarney Stone. But it's fair to say there was some kissing going on. But that's all I'm going to say about that. I would hope so. Uh, Kissing the Guinness. Oh, no. You did kiss a few Guinnesses. I'm going to take a U-turn, possibly a U-turn. Is this a U-turn zone? Are you permitted to make a... And it's possibly one that was painted that on a That sounded like a sick dog and less of a, of a siren. So it's a U-turn that's probably painted on the side of a, of a mountain to try to get the quarry to go against you. And I'm going to talk about a great rivalry in fiction, John. Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Sponsored by Acme. Yes. That is a great all-time rivalry, and it is probably fictional. Well, that's true, but... 
it's really, if you think about it, not much of a rivalry because a rivalry usually needs both parties. And I don't think the Roadrunner really cares, but Wiley Coyote is obsessed, right? He is yeah. obsessed. He can't, and this guy does everything with Acme to try to get him and Roadrunner wins every time. The cool thing is in actual reality, Coyotes do go after Roadrunners and do catch them sometimes, but not in this. All right. Well, I am. Um, I believe it or not, I did consider the, when thinking of great fiction, great rivalries in fiction. However, I'm glad I did not choose it. That would not make for a fun podcast. But I did choose a great rivalry from fiction that is similarly unimportant. Okay. <laughs> I tried to pick rivalries that I had some understanding of, that I experienced myself. It's just easier to talk about those kinds of things. Sure. And one of the great all-time sitcoms, in many people's opinion, is Seinfeld. Oh, I thought you were saying Tom and Jerry, but okay. Tom and Jerry. I actually decided to leave the animal animation kingdom for some real-life three-dimensional humans. So you might remember that Jerry Seinfeld, playing the title role of Jerry Seinfeld, had an ongoing rivalry with a neighbor who was a postal worker whose name was Newman. And whenever they would show up, there would be constant tension and conflict. And it would be, hello, Jerry. And Jerry would say, Newman. Exactly. And Newman. it became this ongoing thing. And the reason I picked it was not only did I experience it, but the character who played him, is it was it Wayne Knight? Something like that, right? Yes. Wayne Knight. He was only supposed to be on for one episode, but the whole thing sort of worked. And they never really talked about what went down between the two of them that created this antagonism. And the truth is nothing, of course, given that show, nothing went down between the two of them. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld at one point said, the real answer why I hated Newman is because it just seemed funny to hate Newman. Now, I know no one watches regular television anymore, but uh, I have it for sports. And I was clicking around during an a intermission the other day, and it happened to have the finale of Seinfeld, which has been universally panned as one of the- Deservedly so, movies. in my opinion. What a disappointment. However, in it, they're in the courtroom in the trial, and there's Newman eating potato chips very loudly, getting very excited when these guys get thrown in jail. I mean, the show was the king of the hill for so many years, and then you just have to punctuate the sentence and not spill ink all over the page. Hubris. I don't know if it was hubris or just it creative it's risk. Hubris. It's hubris. Have you ever been to a bris? I do not want to see one, no. Have I've you? Been to a, I've been to a few. Um, not that many, but I always stand really, really far in the back behind someone who's taller than I am. How old are the kids? I think they're eight days old. And it can't be, I mean, that's got to leave a subconscious mark, don't you think? Is there Novocaine? I don't believe there's Novocaine. It's a bad reason to get together, have a ceremony, a party, and eat chopped liver as far as I'm concerned. By the way, I just think as we're going to leave the fictional category, just to, I think, three, just a note, Sherlock Holmes versus Professor Moriarty, great yep. rivalry. Look, there are an endless number of great rivalries from fiction. Harry Potter versus Lord Voldemort. Hawkeye against Frank Burns. Betty versus Veronica. Okay, we'll leave That's it an all-timer, actually. I think that, That's like a, li a list topper for some. Let's go to sports, Kurt. All right, John. So... Wesleyan against Amherst. Whoa. Oh my God, a battle of the little three, uh, two of the little three. Amherst, Williams, and Wesleyan competed 
as the little ivies for sports supremacy. And I don't know how important it really was. No, but anyway, let's do sports. And, you know, you do think of Yale versus Harvard, the game. The game. But I think if you really to look at it, and I'm not a fan of either of these teams, but the Yankees against the Red Sox. All right. It's a little parochial, but I understand it's got a long history to it, going back to Babe Ruth being sold by the Red Sox to the Yankees. So it was a huge rivalry until he was sold. And then for about the next 50 years, except for a couple of times when the splendid splinter hit like 406, there was Ed the, Williams. The he Red lost Sox his were, head. The Red Sox were kind of behind all of them until the late 70s when you had Carlton Fisk and then you had the Bucky Dent thing. And then, of course, 2004. But that is a heated rivalry. They hate each other. They do. And look, there have been some, I, I am a fan of neither team as well, which is a weird way to say that. I am not a fan of either team. However, there have been some incredible moments. The There have been great comebacks, historical comebacks against one another. There was the 1978 playoff game. I think there was 78 with Bucky Dent. All that being said, I'm going to try to expand your horizons a bit, my friend, and talk to you about one of the greatest sports rivalries that doesn't come from one of the major U.S. sports. And that is probably the granddaddy of them all. No, not the Rose Bowl but the India-Pakistan cricket rivalry. Oh, yes. I mean, this is this is like hand-to-hand combat. Now, well, probably because India and Pakistan hate each other, and Pakistan was cleaved off of India. Right. During the partition of British India, what was that like in the like 1947? Everything happened in 1947, yes. <laughs> so India and Pakistan were formed, and there were all sorts of Indo-Pakistani wars and Kashmir conflicts. But they have been playing cricket since 1952, and the they've even had to stop playing some years because of ongoing warfare between the countries. But yeah. these folks take this seriously. This is nothing like Yankees-Red Sox. It's even bigger, in my opinion, than Real Madrid and Barcelona. So not, let me give you an example. In the, ninth, in the 2019 Cricket World Cup meeting between these two teams, the television broadcast was watched by 273 million people. There are only 300 million and change in the U.S., so almost the entire population, a number almost equivalent to the entire U.S. population, it is so big that it transcends all that normal sports stuff. You know what's interesting? I know nothing about polo, but I know the- Marco! Oh, that's a different one. But I know the innings in polo are called chuckers. Right. You could- Fake it for a little bit. Hell of a second chucker today. And then you leave to refill your drink. And they think, boy, that guy knows something about polo. I don't even know what they call it in cricket. An end. I think it's an end. Yeah, there's an end. But there are innings and there are runs and there's a bat. But it's complete. I have had British people explain the game to me. I understand sports. I can listen and pay attention. And I can even kind of understand on a good day some complicated stuff. It's never stuck in my brain in any way that ever makes any sense. I'm going to go to a cricket game at some point in the hopes that I will glean some understanding. What is our next category of rivalries, Kurt? By the way, I think that's a good one, just so you know. So The Battle uh, of Agincourt versus the Battle of Manassas. Go. Okay, well. I, no, don't don't go. Don't go. No, no, no. Don't. Don't go. Don't. You sure? I got a lot. No, no, more. no. Don't go. Okay. All right. Athens versus Sparta. Anyway. Okay. That was a big one. That's where a marathon comes from, or the distance of a marathon. This is a rivalry. Do you know that that the Spartans would comb their hair before they went into battle in case they met their maker? They would be sort of ready to look. They'd be, they're quite, you know, 
fastidious well, when it comes to those things. Well, but they were all about battle. That's all they cared about. In fact, they they battled naked all the time. So it was kind of interesting. So that's a different story. All right. Get, what's the category? Okay. So the category is music. Okay. And I'm going to give you a rivalry that is interesting because it was an intra, not inter, intra. Brothers band. or inside a band? Within a rivalry. McCartney and Lennon. And I'm going to give you John Lennon and Paul McCartney. You oh, are correct. I got it right. Yes, you did. I thought you were going to say Tupac and Biggie Small, but they weren't in the same band. No, these were in the same band. And what the all of us lay people, all of us outside of it, were the beneficiaries of this great rivalry because they pushed each other because they were such big rivals to make right. unbelievable better music. And we know this is borne out because when they both went solo, they sucked. You know, it's interesting when they both went solo, they actually still wrote songs taking shots at each other. And they were just terrible. Like, like, um, like Silly Love Songs. Remember that song? Oh that God. was a shot. Was that a shot at Lennon or a shot at McCart McCartney? It was a shot at Lennon. So here's the thing. McCartney sang the song. McCartney, if you saw that documentary and Lennon, they were unbelievable what they did. And then they go off and just have drivel for songs afterwards. Dribble or drivel? Drivel was not smart. So I give you Lennon versus McCarthy. They pushed each other. They were unbelievable when they were fighting and rivalrous within. Rivalrous. I, I wonder right. if that really is a word. It ought to be. It is now. It's an accepted word in the parlance of smart drivel. Just like Kenyonic. Kenyonic. Another word that has come out of our uh, out of our conversation. So this is an obscure one. I didn't know about this one. Everyone remembers Sinead O'Connor for her famous Saturday Night Live um, appearance where she tore a picture of the then current Pope in half on live TV, sparking the kind of controversy and outrage that you might expect I'm by people who are into the Pope. So she certainly had a uh, sort of a protest mentality. And way back in the early 90s, she basically said that she would not perform at any of her concerts if the Star Spangled Banner was played. And it was just she had a lot of antipathy for the U.S. foreign policy, and she was widely criticized in America for her stance. The person who took this issue on, none other than American music icon Frank Sinatra, who repeatedly expressed his public disapproval of Sinead O'Connor, made a bunch of harsh remarks about her. And what was really interesting is really a clash of ideologies between the uh, between America and you know other views of foreign policy. And it was also a clash of generations because Frank and Sinead were not so from the, it's about patriotism and freedom of expression and, and the role that artists play in political discourse. And there's just a lot going on there. And it's sort of a relatively minor skirmish, but there was a lot of richness to it. And I didn't know about it until very recently. By the way, I didn't know about it, but it's a lot more intellectual rivalry than you get today with some of these people like just taking bizarre pot shots on TikTok at against each other like Britney Spears and Madonna or whatever. Yeah. My wife my wife Suzanne and I always joke because when you go back to the earliest days of the consumer internet when they were chat rooms, talk about a rudimentary and coarse discourse, different kind of course than discourse, if you take a moment to just appreciate that. But the I, I went into a couple back in the early days of AOL to understand all this new stuff. And the conversation was basically, go Giants, Packers suck, Eagles rule, just back and forth, back and forth. 
It was not highly intellectual. All right. I hope we learned something by accident. What's our next category? Politics. Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to go first. Yeah. This is a great rivalry because even though it happened a couple hundred years ago, more than a couple hundred years ago, it lives on in the consciousness of modern America, largely because of culture and art. And that, of course, is the very famous political rivalry between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Now, they had a lot in common. They were both they were both orphans and they were both in New York before the Revolutionary War. They both were in the government after the war. And they just consistently butted heads. They were both very involved in the war itself and winning yeah, the war. They both yeah. fought in the war. And the interesting thing is Hamilton, who was deeply principled, had a real problem that Aaron Burr seemed to keep changing his mind to fit the discourse and po- the popular discourse of each day. And of course, their whole, and I think ultimately Burr ran for the Senate seat that was occupied by his father-in-law by Hamilton's father-in-law and displaced Tyler. Tyler. So that added to the whole thing. And of course, the the whole thing ended famously in a duel, which resulted in Hamilton's death and some fantastic music. But it's, it's just an incredible story. And Burr's life was pretty much ruined there after his political, his political career uh, tanked. I think he was the vice president or, um, uh, at some point. Did he, was he elected vice president? Yes, because he came in second. Because he came in second. Then he also ran for the New York governor's race. And Oh, then he went off the rails and went out west and tried to get England to back him to secede and fight America. I mean, he completely went off the rails. The, yeah. the interesting thing is we know that it's a big rivalry. It's a good one, John, because it ended in the death and the duel. The actual bigger rivalry with Hamilton was with Jefferson. They couldn't stand each other, right? You had the Federalists run by Hamilton and the Jeffersonians or the Democrats run by Jefferson. And by the way, kind of like Lennon and McCartney, when they were first in Washington's cabinet, they one was Secretary of State, one was Secretary of the Treasury. They actually had such a big rivalry, Jefferson and Hamilton. They totally. created unbelievable things. They created better stuff because of the rivalry. So like most things are a sine curve. In fact, you were discussing sine curves with me later uh, earlier today off off air. And you know, there when there is rivalries that bring out, you know, sort of the top of the sine curve the best, but when it goes too far and it becomes violent in this case and fatal, lethal in this case, you sort of go down the back of the sine curve. So I'm going to come back to mine with politics, but we are so hot on the subject. I'm going to jump categories and come back. So I'm going to do two in a row quickly. Okay. Business to a big rivalry that produced unbelievable stuff that we are still seeing today, and we are all the recipients of this and the beneficiaries of this, is Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And because Apple versus Microsoft fought so hard against each other for supremacy in the tech world, they developed and created all this unbelievable stuff way ahead of time that we're all the beneficiaries of. So I just it's exactly what we were talking about just in that end. I will give you another, I'll give you a quick response to that, uh, or a response, and that's an excellent one. Similarly, two companies that have been battling out, in this case, for like 150, 140 years, and that have led to all sorts of innovation that has benefited the customer, which is the benefit of competition and capitalism, and that is Coke versus Pepsi. I mean, they both have been around since the late 1800s. When there's a rivalry that ultimately goes by the moniker Cola Wars, 
you know that there's some um, there's some depth to it. And we both remember those those blind taste tests they did. What was that like the 70s or the 80s? Basically, the Pepsi challenge where there would be someone sitting outside, you know, a grocery store and they would challenge people to identify which one was Coke because they all loved Coke. And they would be blind. They take the two cups and they choose this one. And I think well more than more than half the time, Coke lovers preferred the taste of Pepsi when they didn't know which was which. Didn't Coke or someone spoofed it by having a tennis ball as one of the things they were drinking? You know, that I don't remember. It's very difficult to drink a tennis ball, Kurt. It's fuzzy. That was the whole thing. It was hysterical. By the way, that produced basically tons of innovation in marketing, right? These cola wars. That's what that was. That's really right. About. So we got we got to wrap up. Give me right. one more. You pick any category. I may or may not reciprocate with the same category. Right. Well, go. I just want to go back to politics. And this is a quick one. Okay. But Neville Chamberlain and Winston Churchill. That's Neville one of the all-time greats. Never Chamberlain, who was the prime minister, was uh, basically trying to assuage everyone. He's all about appeasement. And yeah. they thought that Churchill was this big warmonger hawk. And Neville Chamberlain goes off, comes back from Europe after meeting with Hitler and says, peace in our time, peace in our time. And about a month later. I mean, people were cheering from their balconies in London for Chamberlain when he came back preserving peace. Peace in our time. Churchill was clearly of a different mind and would have never trusted and was the man we needed. Unfortunately, Churchill was more right about how things were going to go. This is a rivalry between two brothers that went on to create two legitimately iconic companies, Adolf or Addy Dassler and his brother Rudolf or Rudy Dassler created a sportswear company. They could not get along and they worked together, but they had different personalities and different visions and they had a bitter and lasting feud. After World War II, they went their separate ways, and they created their own sportswear companies, Addy for Adidas, A-D-I, and of course, Das, his last name is Dassler, so it's A-D-I-D-A-S, he created Adidas, and his brother, Rudolph, established Puma. So two incredible footwear companies, sportswear companies, Adidas and Puma were created by brothers who couldn't get along, went their own separate ways, and they've had this profound impact on the global sportswear market. By the way, we could do a whole episode on brothers who oh, you know sisters. what we can start with Cain and Abel. Adam raised a cane. So that was not that's a good one. We should do famous brothers. That's a really good idea, Kurt. We'll come back and do that really soon. We should wrap up, but I think it's his not hysterical. I think it's interesting that neither of us mentioned the greatest rivalry in American history. The Civil which, War? Which, of course, was in Appalachia. Oh, of course, the Hadfields and McCoy, which I think was the founding concept behind this podcast. Exactly. And there's a great dinner theater show of it in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I do think the North and the South, the blue and the gray, the Confederates and the, you know, that's kind of a big one, too, when you're Army, looking at Army, Navy? American. Yes, of course, Army, Navy. All right, Kurt, I am putting down my rivalrous tone. I wish you well. Thank you for this. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. Kurt and I will be back next week with another episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your week is filled with all sorts of wonderful Smart Dribble. Peace Bye, everybody. I'm friends with you now. We've beaten our swords into plowshares or something like that. Now we're getting all biblical. All right, Kurt, until next time, my friend. Bye, John. Ciao, everyone.